The man who called Dow 20,000 says three factors are going to make 2021, quote, a very good year for stocks. We will get into it with the creator of Millennial Money, our co-host today, Grant Sabatier. It is Wednesday, December 2nd. Let's talk money with our friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown Up podcast, coming to you from my very grown up kitchen in New York City. And I am Grant Sabatier, author of Financial Freedom and creator of Millennial Money, coming to you from my attic in Columbus, Ohio. Here on Money with Friends, we talk about the latest personal finance headlines. We added the insights and wisdom of our fantastic cast of thought leaders, including Grant Sabatier. We mix in some questions and comments from our money friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. Grant, welcome back. We had a great discussion yesterday about the wonderful Tony Shea. Now we're going to talk about investing and 2021. Yep. So excited to be here. This is a topic that I am really passionate about, and I have a lot of thoughts about what's going to happen in the market next year. So, so excited that you wanted to chat about this. Without further ado, then, let's see which one of our friends is going to bring us into today's story. This is Andy from the Inspired Money Podcast. Just like hanging out and chatting about the news... That's why I tune in to Money with Friends. All right. The story we're going to use as a jumping off point um, is actually from Market Watch, the headline, and it's by Mark DeCambry. The headline, man who called Dow 20,000, says three factors will make 2021, quote, a very good year for stocks. Jeremy Siegel is the person they are referencing. He is a Wharton professor, and he is credited, by the way, for calling for the Dow to reach 20,000 back in 2015. And he has predicted that the market could be in for a solid gain in the coming year, and he cites three factors. Those three factors are the healthy money supply, vaccine news, and and this is his words. I want to make that clear. Better than expected election results. We'll get into what he means by that. But he's basically saying, this is coming from a CNBC interview, that those are the three factors that are going to lift the stock market. Um, he talks a lot about the amount of liquidity from the Federal Reserve. That's been a big catalyst. Um the M1 money supply is up 44% since the beginning of March. That means they're pumping money into the economy still. And that is something that can be a big boost to the economy. He also talks about interest rates around the globe at nearly 0%. So that really makes assets like stocks a very compelling option for investors in the coming months. Grant, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I don't think that his prediction around the Dow, even at 20,000, was that revolutionary. Cause one of the things we know historically, you know, over any 10, 15, 20 year period, the stock market always goes up. So just saying that the Dow is going to go up, you know, I could say that the Dow is going to be 40,000 in 10 years and I have a pro pretty good chance of being uh, correct. But what's interesting about his prediction is around 2021 and what a year it's going to be. Because I agree with him that I actually think it's going to be the greatest bull year in history next year coming out of the pandemic uh, for all the reasons that he states. But really, it's this idea of sort of pent up demand. It's something that we haven't experienced in our lifetime. We've all been locked in our homes. Savings rates have been at all time high. So the people that have been making money have been hoarding it. We want to take vacations. We want to 
travel. We want to buy the things that uh, you know we we normally buy. And so I think I think the economy across all levels is just going to be roaring. Uh, the Russell 2000, which tracks the small cap stocks in the United States, just this month, uh, you know, had the be- or last month really had the best uh, numbers that it ever had since being established. And so this market recovery is across all sectors, and that's what's going to make it so powerful. You're just going to have businesses booming, uh, small business, big business, uh, just for all the reasons that he he explains. And, and I'm excited. I mean, uh, f- you know, for the year because uh, I've been been sitting on some cash, you know, as well. So I'm excited about the investing. I'm not usually a predictor of the market, but this is one of those things where I think a couple times in in your life you might see an opportunity, and this is one of those where clearly. Uh, investing early, often, and as much as you can, even in just a broad index fund, like a total stock market index fund, you're going to be able to participate uh, in the growth. Well, and it's interesting because as much as this um, pandemic has been terrible for the economy, the stock market has done so well in part, as you mentioned, because people are not spending as much money and rates have been at zero. So there are not that many alternatives um, for return. People are not really investing in fixed income. People are certainly looking for other places to invest besides stocks. But a lot of them are, are turning to stocks and to index funds. And that is a lot of what's boosting the market. Yeah. And one of the other things you get is just high quality, low cost investing options uh, have become increasingly available over the past five to 10 years. And so obviously we've seen the growth of Robinhood. We've seen the impact that commission-free trading has had uh, across the market, younger investors getting in, the ability to buy fractional, smaller shares. All these things have contributed to just a much, much larger percentage of Americans investing in the stock market. And then to your point, where else do you have to put your money? And so if you're working, if you're auto invested in your 401k, uh, with the growth of index funds, with the growth, I mean, you have, uh, just an immense, immense amount of momentum, uh, really across all sectors that I, I think it's, it's the next 10 years even, uh, are, are, are going to be extremely bullish. I think putting an asterisk on that, that really the only thing that could have a negative impact is, uh, another form of pandemic or just climate change. I do worry about the impact of the climate on the economy longer term, but for the next 10 years, you know, I, I think it's, it's off to the races. You know, I want to get your point of view on one other thing that you alluded to, and that is talking about pent-up demand, especially for travel. Um, we had so many CDC warnings over Thanksgiving, and yet people just traveled. They were just done. They were ready to go. They wanted to see their relatives. Many of them, as you did, traveled in a very safe way and still had small gatherings, as you did. So I think you were okay in your gathering for Thanksgiving. But the travel industry, as beat up as it has been, do you think it will see a recovery and beyond when we kind of come out of this? Because there's maybe a new appreciation that people say, I want to take that trip of a lifetime now, not later, because we don't know what will happen later. I know I'm so grateful for some of the trips that I did take and so sad for I had a few international trips planned that are not happening yeah, I think life like investing is about calculated risk. And so the simple idea of my wife and I driving back to see my parents, my parents are getting older. And so it's one of those things I want to make sure that I can spend as much time with them. Of course, my wife and I being a little bit younger, I actually had COVID in February. And so it's one of the things that 
who knows how long the antibodies last, but I felt like I had some level of protection. But you can be smart, just like you can be smart traveling uh, anywhere. I do think the travel industry is going to take a little bit more time to recover. I don't think we're going to get to pre-pandemic, uh, pre-pandemic recovery probably until 2022 or 2023, simply because there's going to have to be enough of the population that has the vaccine where people feel comfortable, you know, getting on planes, going on cruise ships. You're always going to have those people who aren't going to care uh, and they're going to do whatever they want. But I, I think it's going to take a while for it to fully recover. But to your point, I think the pandemic has hel- helped a lot of us question our lives and what we've been saving for and what we've been putting off. And I do think you're going to see more and more people taking that once in a lifetime trip. Uh, I think you see a lot more people who are actually going to be retiring early. I think you're going to see a lot more people who are going to be willing to take even more risks in their life and not put off those things, uh, you know, far, far into the future. With that being said, we can't forget that pre-pandemic, a lot of the top destinations in the world had been over-traveled. And so you saw Venice starting to cut off some of the travel and some of the access. You see Machu Picchu with increasing numbers of time tickets. And I believe there was talk about actually shutting Machu Picchu down completely to tourists, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so as travel was more affordable, more and more people around the world were going to these destinations uh, and it was eroding natural habitats and, uh, you know, creating overcrowding. And so that's one of the big questions around just the growing population in general. I think for the U.S. economy, it's positive. I don't think the housing market is ever going to go back to the way it used to be. I think that housing prices are going to have record years over the next 10 years just because there's so many more people and they need places to live. And so the same thing with the economy is as more and more people flood into it. But with travel, I think I think what you're going to see is a lot of um, destinations only be available to people at a certain socioeconomic level. I think it's going to get more expensive to travel to places like Santorini because there will be caps. It'll be more expensive to go to places like Venice uh, because there will be a cap. And that's just a supply-demand issue where the cost will just invariably go up. But yes, to your point, I think people will be spending more money than ever before trying to get out and see those places uh, that, that they might have been putting off. Yeah, and we do record this live in front of a Facebook and YouTube audience. We have some comments from our audience. We have Annette talking about who knows when the borders will open. It could take a year or two for the vaccines to get to everyone. And I know, you know, some international airlines are now having regulations where you have to have the vaccine to even get on the plane. So that will slow down that area of the economy as well. Claudia asks, you know, am I buying travel stocks that are depressed now? That's one of the things I'm actually not doing. And so I'm not buying any individual travel stocks like Boeing or the airlines or the cruise lines. I do think they will recover, but I, I, I don't want to put all of my eggs in, in into those baskets. And so I'm continuing to invest in the broad index through a total stock market index fund. And actually the stocks that I continue to buy are more on the tech growth side where I still see massive upside potential like the Facebooks and the Amazons uh, of the world as opposed to the individual 
travel stocks. I do think that, uh, for example, the cruise industry uh, will struggle uh, for a time. And you have to know Elon Musk, who a guy that you know I really admire, even though he's a little crazy. Um, you know, he, I think he's right in in stating that there will be likely another pandemic in our lifetime, and it could be potentially a lot worse. And so I think you're going to see a renewed sensitivity around people wanting to be, for example, on a cruise ship locked tightly together. And I think also with the airline industry, I think there's going to be different classes of travel where it won't just be first class and business. Business class. I think you're going to be able to pay a little bit more to be actually on a plane that has more distance and be a smaller aircraft carrier. I see that as a trend that's likely to grow in the future as people will pay for distance and pay for more space when they travel. That is really interesting. Also really interesting, we did put this question to our Instagram audience. Our Instagram handle is at MoneyFriendsPod. We asked them, will 2021 be a very good year for stocks? The options were um, the the bulls will rule or a pullback is coming in. I'm just going to reveal it because I'm curious to see what you have to say about it. Um, Grant, it was relatively even, but we did have a little bit leaning towards a pullback as coming at 57%. Why do you think our audience has that hesitation? Why are they so cautious? I think the hesitation is likely because of how well the market has performed this year uh, and the fact that the Fed and the government has pumped so much money into the system. And so the simple idea is if there's a ton of money in the system and if the, the deficit does go up, is there going to be a time when the, the, the government pulls back? Uh, is there not going to be a second stimulus, for example? And then people in the economy who, who have been hurt by the pandemic, they're not going to be able to spend as much money. But I think those are confusing two different things. I think that yes, the economy itself will struggle. Small businesses uh, will struggle to survive and many will close. But, you know, the saying the rich get richer is fundamentally true in this case where the stock market itself vast majority of the money going into the stock market, even though more and more Americans are investing, uh, you know, are people who have a lot of money. And so those, those companies that are, are, are growing, uh, are going to continue to be profitable. And so I think this, even if the economy is depressed and the average main street investor is struggling, uh, I think, uh, writ large, the market's going to continue to grow. And we're going to see an increasing distance between what the economy is doing and what the stock market is doing. Um, and that's what the pandemic has clearly showed us. So I'm, I'm bull all the way a hundred percent, uh, because there's not many other places to put your money and, um, more and more Americans, uh, are out there. Uh, they're going to be spending more money. They're going to be traveling. The global economy is going to continue to grow more people around the world spending more money. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a hundred percent bullish for next year. And I do want to just clarify what uh, the, one of the reasons Professor Siegel thought that the market was going to be up in 2021. He talked about the election outcome. I was very confused about what he meant by that. So I did look up some other things that he was saying that week and some other sources, um, including on the Wharton website. And what he's basically alluding to is the fact that he doesn't think there'll be radical reforms from the Biden administration. According to him, its latitude is going to be limited to easing trade policy and reversing Trump era regulatory. And this is the, what he said, not us, um, Trump era regulatory relaxations, 
quote, the Republicans did very well in Congress in the recent elections, so the possibility of radical reforms going through are greatly reduced. So that is from Professor Siegel. So basically, he thinks that there won't be big changes in things like how much tax corporations pay um, and trade policy. There'll be a little bit of change there, but we're not going to see any huge changes and that will be good for the market. So I just wanted to clarify that because it wasn't very clear from the article. And then one final point from the piece is that he did say, uh, looking even longer term, Siegel is forecasting that the Dow may hit 40,000 in the next four or five years unless something else derails the market's bull run. And of course, Grant, as you said, there are so many things that could derail this bull run, including um, predictions of, God forbid, another um, another pandemic. Yeah, another pandemic, just the, you know, kind of uncertainty around China and some of the interconnectedness of the global economy. That's one of the only things that makes me nervous, how so many, for example, of Apple's iPhone sales are dependent upon China. You see Tesla, the run-up of Tesla stock, and the inclusion in the S&P 500, what percentage of Teslas are you know, worldwide are being sold in China, and just how reliant even increasingly American companies are on China. I see that actually um, as, as one of the risk factors, less of a risk, risk factor with a Biden presidency, just because I think with Biden, uh, people know what to expect. And you're right, and not, not a lot will happen, especially if there's the split control, you know, Republican control in the Senate, um, as well as, well as uh, you know, kind of a runoff in the, in the House. I, I don't think a lot of those sort of tax cuts are going to be able to be pulled back. Uh, and so the next four years, there's not going to be a whole lot of waves. Um, in my opinion. And so even with someone like China, I think less conflict, the better, regardless of how this election nets out, although I think we know how it's going to net out now. Uh, I, I see the, the, the election having very little impact, especially now that some of this uncertainty uh, is, is behind us. Absolutely. Hold that thought before we get to our takeaways. Grant, what is your takeaway from this piece? Invest as much money as you can. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people have been sitting on the sidelines with their cash uh, during this period and just putting their money into savings accounts, which really are doing nothing. And in fact, most savings accounts, you're actually going to be losing money uh, due to inflation. And so just don't keep all your money in cash. Have a six-month emergency fund, maybe eight-month emergency fund, uh, or even a year emergency fund if you're in a career that's really unpredictable or a job that's unpredictable. But get your rest, the rest of your money in the market uh, because this is, especially for younger investors, you know, the compounding early on in your investing journey really does add up over time. You know, one of the things about my own net worth, over 80% of it has been generated from investing gains since I started investing in 2010. So I've been able to participate in really a great market over the past 10 years. And I think, you know, if history teaches us anything, it's that the future is unpredictable. And so all these people that are saying, oh, we've had a great run the last 10 years, there's no way this can continue. You know, it's up to you what type of uh, risk you're willing to take in your life, but get that money, that cash off the sidelines, get it into the market, diversify. Don't just put all your money, for example, into individual travel stocks or even an Amazon. 
into an index fund and then maybe take 5 or 10% of your net worth and buy some of those individual stocks that perhaps you believe in. So my takeaway is, is this is something that, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've got a decent intuition and I've never made any market predictions ever. So it's the first time for me, I think 2021 is going to be the best year in the history of the American stock market. And so you don't want to miss out on that. Well, Grant, I definitely want you to be right. <laughs> Yeah, we both want to be right. (laughs) And I love that you're taking bold steps now um, and making these big predictions. I feel like you've really kind of grown into your own now that you've had all of these accomplishments, your best-selling book, your awesome podcast, and now selling your company. By the way, congratulations on that, selling your company to Motley Fool. So I love your predictions. Um, And I think uh, Professor Siegel makes some very compelling points. And as you said, though, we don't know. I mean, of course, we learned this in 2020 that hindsight is 2020. So look, don't change your investment strategy in that you should have that emergency fund. I love that you pointed that out because when you say put all your money in the stock market, that's after you're taking care of the things that you need to take care of. That's your investing money should be in investments. It doesn't mean you can't diversify within the stock market or in other investments, but it should not be sitting in the proverbial, you know, under the mattress kind of thing. Savings accounts are not earning money. Obviously, you can put your emergency fund in the right vehicle for that. But I love the optimistic view. And I hope we're here a year from now celebrating the success of the 2021 stock market. But even if we're not, I mean, investing is a long term game. And so even if the market is down next year, keeping that money on the sidelines is still a bad decision. So, because long term, uh, even if we're wrong about next year, the next 10, 20 years, however long you have to keep investing, uh, will likely be positive and, and probably up quite a bit. So well said, Grant. Thank you so much for being with us. Where can people keep in touch with you? Uh, yeah, check out grantsabatier.com at Millennial Money on Twitter, at Millennial Money.com on Instagram. Hit me up there if you have any questions. And this is just this has been a lot of fun. I, I love this topic so much. And I'm really, really excited for all the, the craziness of 2020. I think 2021, we're, we're set up for an incredible year. I am totally on board with that, Grant. Everyone, learn more about Grant and all of our collaborators on our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Money Friends Pod. And of course, be part of the shows here on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look for Money with Friends. We would love to have you join us with your questions and comments for the show. Grant, until next time, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. See you next month. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends, LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at Money Friends Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends.
Bam. Nailed it. Done.